Turning there, young people uh, can be dismissed for a time in the Word of God. Slessers are working with them this morning. Slessers are working with the young people so they can head out for time in the Word of God while we have time in the Word this morning. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to continue our study and um, we are going to pick up in the middle of a sentence. And the reason we're picking up in the middle of a sentence is because it's hard in the book of Colossians not to pick up in the middle of a sentence. Uh, because uh, the, uh, the uh, writer loved run-on sentences. At least those are terms my teachers used to use all the time. There's a reason for that, though. And there's a lot packed into one sentence. Um, in fact... We preached on half a sentence uh, a couple times already in the book of, in this first chapter of Colossians. So we are going to uh, pick up. Actually, we'll pick up in verse. Um, actually, we'll start at the beginning of a sentence. How's that? We're going to actually do a whole sentence, two sentences today, which means we're reading a lot. Follow along as I start reading in verse 19, if you would. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Talking about Jesus Christ, by the way. And having made peace through the cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake is the church." Whereof I made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you to just open our eyes and our hearts to the truth of your word today. I thank you so very much for the word of God that was given by inspiration of God to help us that are here this morning and everyone who opens a Bible and reads the Word, that you've given us these words today to help us in our lives be what you would have us to be for the glory of God. And so, please open our minds and our understanding that we might understand truth. If there was any, there's anyone in this room who has not been made part of the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, may this day be a day where they uh, come to, they get reconciled with God. And find the peace that Jesus came to provide. Uh, I pray, Lord God, for those who are part of the family of God, that they would understand the importance, the great need, the necessity of the church, and how important it is to their life today, this very moment. 
And we'll thank you, Lord, for what you'll do and how you'll help us to understand truth today. And I pray these things and ask them in the name of my wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are religious denominations today that have the name of their leader or the guy that pretty much was the one responsible for uh, the faith and the beliefs that they hold. For example, uh, in what you would call modern-day denominations, you have Lutherans. All right, if someone's a Lutheran, uh, why are they called such? Well, it's because they have espoused the beliefs of that Martin Luther held to or preached or taught. So they're known as Lutherans. Now, quite honestly, probably a lot of Lutherans don't even know what Martin Luther actually taught and believed and held to. Uh, sad to say, a number of Lutherans need to come to faith in Jesus Christ because they're not hearing the gospel where they're at. And Martin Luther at least understood that much that salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. But that's another message for another time. But those who are Lutherans, at one time at least, you would say they were basically followers of Martin Luther. Now, they'd probably argue and say they were followers of Christ, but that's what we would say. That's how they got their name. Um, then, uh, then we could have, and we could talk about this morning, Wesleyans. Uh, John Wesley was a preacher, and, and he had beliefs that uh, he held strongly to, and there are groups that have followed in that thinking and followed down that line. They're known as Wesleyans, and we would basically say that they have become or they were followers of John Wesley. Um, now, uh, I know groups would probably deny that they follow people, but that's the general idea. You understand, right? Um, Mormons. Mormons are such because they believe in the Book of Mormon. Uh, and they would be called, <laughs> well, followers of Mormon, probably more <laughs> appropriately, maybe followers of Joseph Smith, who concocted a crazy story upon which the whole faith is based. And that was free this morning, all right? But uh, anyway, they're basically followers of Mormon or the, the Book of, of Mormon. Buddhists are called such for a reason. Because they are followers of. So what are Christians? Okay, Christians are supposed to be, ought be, followers of Christ. If I were to try to describe the portion of Scripture we read, and actually the verses following that, all the way to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, I think that I would use the the... Um, what we were just talking about, the term Christian, des describe what God expects and what God desires. God wants you to be a Christian. Or, if you, if you will, God wants you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And in these verses that we've read, and the verses that follow all the way, again, to chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul takes time to write to the church and talk to them uh, in a very personal way about a ministry that he had had in their life or he was having in their life. And then in chapter 2, he talks about a concern he has for the church and for the believers that are there at, the, at this church. Uh, and so as he does these things, as he shares these things, he ultimately teaches what they need to be doing and how they need to be living. You know what they, how they need to be living? They need to act like Christians. In fact, 
right early on, we read these words in verse 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. If you look at verse 28, you read these words, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Why? That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Mature, complete. Christians acting like Christians. Christians being followers of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, we see that in continue. Verse 6, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And so in this portion, in these, uh, actually we didn't read them all, probably some 18 or 20 verses that we could have read the whole thing. The point is, and the focus is, live like a Christian. All right, look, if you're going to be called a Christian, uh, you know, if a guy's called a Buddhist because he follows Buddha, if a guy is called a, a Mormon because he follows the Book of Mormon, if a person is called a Lutheran because he has has been influenced by and affected by and changed by the, by the teachings of Martin Luther, uh, then every Christian should live by live like a Christian or be a follower of Jesus Christ. That is the challenge of these verses. That is the focus. Now. These verses are, quite honestly, a little bit more difficult to preach. And let me tell you why. You say, oh, man, that scares me. Scared me, too, let me tell you, all right, as I was preparing. Because it's almost as if the writer is going off on a rabbit trail. And some passages of Scripture are so clear, so powerful, because they have just a, a message that they're trying to get across, like we just preached last week. Jesus Christ, the preeminent one. Preeminent in salvation, there is no salvation apart from him. The preeminent one in creation, he is the creator. There is no other creator. And, cre and he is the preeminent one in the church. We see that in verse 18, who is the head of the body, the church, who is the uh, beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now what he does, starting in verse 19 and all the way to chapter 2 and verse 9. He's going to come back to the subject of Christ being a, a wonderful, great Savior. But in these verses, he almost goes off on a little rabbit trail. I don't like to describe it that way because this is given by inspiration of God. And in this, if you would, rabbit trail, he encourages believers to live like Christians. The reason why is because Jesus is the preeminent one. He has done so much for those who are part of the family of God. He is the one who is the authority. He is the ruler. And because of that, Christians should be Christians. Christians should be followers of Jesus Christ. Christians should walk in newness of life. And Paul takes time to describe that life and to talk about the importance and to tell you, by the way, how you can be helped in walking that kind of life. So these verses are not kind of a, there's three points, three steps, three truths. Wow, this is great. But these verses are very important because they deal with how God wants you to be living today, tomorrow, this week. This morning, the challenge is, are you a Christian? And I'm not talking about, are you saved? Are you part of the family of God? But. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, there are people who are part of the family of God who have been saved by faith. 
Lord Jesus Christ who have, have maybe strayed from God or maybe never grew in Jesus Christ, then they're not followers of Jesus Christ. But everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ is challenged in Colossians chapter 1 in the verses we read and the verses that follow to be people who live like Christians, who are followers of Jesus Christ. And that is the challenge God wants you to get from this passage. A well-known commentator, William Barclay, wrote these words. He said, a conversion is incomplete if it doesn't leave Jesus Christ in the central place of one's life. The shortest possible description of a Christian, a description which the New Testament would fully agree, is that a Christian is a person who can say, for me, Jesus Christ is Lord. These verses teach that. These verses encourage that. These verses say, don't just say you're a Christian. Live like it. Make your Christian life something that's your life. Not just something you say you have and you possess on Sunday morning. So, are you a Christian? Now, he's going to use what he's already shared, and we just uh, took a moment to share with you, to kind of get this jumping off point and go over to this section about living for Jesus Christ. So, hang with me. Let's take a few moments and review what we learned, all right? I want you to see first, and let's take a couple moments to think about the magnificent position Jesus Christ has. We've already shared it, but verse 14 tells us, first of all, that he is the the preeminent one in the matter of salvation. There is salvation through no other one. There is no other way for a person to be redeemed. There is no other way for a person to be reconciled with God other than through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the only way. There is no other way of salvation. When someone says salvation is in the church, it's in baptism, it's in uh, good works, it's in this, it's in that, if they say anything other than Jesus Christ, they are false teachers. Because the Bible is very clear, and the scriptures are clear in Colossians 1 and many other places, that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the preeminent one in salvation. If you are basing your salvation on anything other than Jesus Christ and his shed blood, you're trusting in the wrong thing. It is only in Jesus Christ, it is in Jesus Christ alone that we find redemption and reconciliation with God. And that is the powerful message he shared in verse 14 and actually in verses uh, uh, 21 and 22. And, by the way, he's going to get back to that in chapter 2 and verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And he's going to talk about how, in verse 13, you were dead in your sins and uh, uncircumcision of your flesh. And he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances. And I'm looking forward to getting back to that. Jesus Christ is the preeminent one in salvation. He is the only one. And he is the only way for someone to be saved. Jesus is the only creator. We are told that in verses 15 and in verse 16 and 17. First, we're told in verse 15, he is God. Second, we are told that he is the creator of all things in heaven and earth, seen and unseen. Everything that was made, everything you have ever seen, everything you can't see, Jesus Christ is the maker of. And Jesus Christ keeps it together this very moment. If he didn't, it wouldn't exist. You exist because Jesus Christ keeps you together. 
It's by him that all things consist and have their being. He is the preeminent one in creation, and he deserves to be honored and worshipped. He is the preeminent one in the church, and he deserves in the church to be worshipped and honored. And we are taught that in verse 18. And we left off there last week, and you thought we were done. And I didn't have much time to talk about that. That's what these verses deal with. These verses talk about the preeminent one who founded the church and tell us that the church is vitally important in your walk with God. Do you know that? It is. And Paul is going to talk about that in the verses that follow now. As we get into verse 19, and we read about what Jesus Christ did a little bit more about his magnificent position in the matter of salvation. As we read about Jesus being the head of the church, he doesn't leave that subject. Look in verse 24. He, Paul talking about himself, who says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up all that which is behind of the affliction of, of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Do you realize that he's going to share with the church some things personally from his own life and from his own ministry that they needed to know, and then he's going to share with them in these verses how important the church is to their lives. Christ came and Christ died for the church. Christ gave himself, and Christ became the head of the body. He's the head of the church. There is no other head. Now, you know, there's some preachers today who think they're the head of the church. Seriously. By the way, there's some people in churches that think they're the head of the church and sometimes try to run a local New Testament church. But Jesus Christ is supposed to be the head of any church. He is the authority. And what he says goes. And any church, by the way, that denies the headship of Jesus Christ and goes their own way in opposition to Scripture is not a biblical church. It's not. Jesus Christ is to be the head of the church. He was made the head of the church. He's to be treated as such. And by the way, that should tell you how important the church is. You say, well, the church is just all believers. No, he's talking about the local body of believers here in this passage. He's talking to the church at Colossae, which I learned how to say correctly recently. He is the head of, and he is the authority in the church at Rome. He was the head, and he was the authority at the church at Philippi. When Paul talks about the church and Christ being the head, he's talking about a local New Testament church in these verses. And he shares with us the things that we need to know. Well, what do we need to know as if Jesus Christ is the head of the church? First, is that Jesus did a miraculous thing by making establishing the church. And that's talked about in verses 19 and 20 and 21 and 22. We've already focused on these, and we're not going to take a lot of time to talk about it. But look in verse 20 specifically. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they pay things in earth or things in heaven. And you, who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. When Jesus Christ came and when he established the church, he became the preeminent one in the church. He had a purpose. He had a goal in each one that comes to faith in Jesus Christ. What is the goal? What is the purpose? It's described actually in, verse, in the verse we just read, that he might present us holy, unblameable, 
and unreprovable in his sight. Now, there's a sense in which he has already done this. Isn't that an amazing thing? Do you know that my salvation is already complete as far as God is concerned? In the sense that I'm already on my way to heaven because when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ when I was seven years of age, God made me part of his family. In fact, when God looks at me, he looks at me in, through the lens of, if you would, Jesus Christ. And he sees me as one who is actually holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. But you know, the truth of the matter is, and I know you find this hard to believe, I don't live that way all the time. I should. <laughs> I ought. But I don't. And I know that just disappoints you all. And I know that surprises some of you this morning. And maybe some of you want to just leave now because you thought the preacher was perfect. But he's not. I don't walk that way all the time. Jesus Christ came, though, to present us that way before the Father. He came to change our lives. He came to make you pure, to make you clean. He came so that you would live the life of a Christian, that you would become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what he desires. That's what he, uh, that's what he came to do. And by the way, any Christian that says, well, I'm on my way to heaven, doesn't matter how I live now, is a fool. Because the purpose of Jesus Christ giving his life, establishing the church and becoming the head of the church was so that those who were saved and became part of the family of God could become holy and unblameable and unreprovable in action and life. That is God's desire for your life. If you get nothing else from the message today, that is a message found repeatedly in these verses. And it is a message that you need to hear. The miraculous work of Jesus Christ is the salvation of a soul so that a man can be reconciled with God and a man can be made holy, pure, and unblameable in the sight of God. And what he desires now is that you become, if you would, that perfect man. Uh, that we might present every man, as we've already read in verse 28, perfect in Christ Jesus. The message that is preached in this passage is live your faith. Be what God saved you to be. So let me tell you how that happens. Can I? Because this passage tells you how that happens. God has given you messengers designed to help you become what he intended for you to be. And he gave you those in the church. Now you say, well, where do you get that? This passage, quite honestly, you read through from here all the way to chapter 2 uh, in verse 9. And you might be saying... What is he talking about? Paul actually is giving a personal testimony in a sense. Look, if you would, in verse, uh, at the end of verse 23, he says this, I, Paul, am made a minister. What was he made a minister of? A minister of the gospel. Not just the minister of the gospel, but those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, actually, uh, the gospel doesn't end with someone, well, it does. Someone gets saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the end, all right? There's nothing more as far as their salvation is concerned. But the intent of the gospel was that people would become like Jesus Christ, become Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, that they would walk like him, that they would talk like him, that they would become holy like he is, as we've already read. And Paul said this, he says, I've been made a minister of that, so that my job and my focus and my life is centered on this, helping people come to faith in Christ, which you already have, 
and then helping you become more like Jesus Christ. And he describes that in a very personal way in these verses. He talks in verse 24 about how he had to suffer for this. By the way, I get to preach it myself this morning because in essence, he's describing a pastor. He's describing what a pastor is supposed to do and the responsibility of a pastor. You know what the responsibility of a pastor is? To help you become what God wants you to be. Holy, unreprovable, unblameable in the sight of Jesus Christ, in the sight of the Father. That's the job of a pastor. Now, in order to do that, sometimes it involves suffering. Sometimes it involves difficulty. We aren't going to... I'm not here to make you feel bad about me today, all right? But Paul actually said that. He said, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you? Now, you say, what? Was the church rejoicing in the sufferings? No, Paul actually was because he understood that the sufferings that were coming to him as he ministered the gospel and as he helped these people grow in Jesus Christ was ultimately to the benefit of the body of Jesus Christ. It was helping the church become what God wanted it to become. And so he saw the sufferings of the ministry as something that was fruitful and beneficial. And if anyone suffered for the faith, it was Paul. You know that, don't you? I mean, you, tell, you read about his, you read his, his diary, the diary, the life of Paul, and you see a guy who suffered a lot. He went through so many different difficulties in life. He was a, a night and a day in the deep. How would you like to be in an ocean for, well, 24 hours? And I'm not talking about on a boat, enjoying yourself. I'm talking about in the water. Um, he was he was beaten and left for dead. He had to run for his life. And all those things came because he was a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gives, actually, in a couple different places, a list of the things that he went through. Now, God gave the church, Paul, so that people would be what they need to be. God has given. In fact, we can make the relation that God has given us preachers today. God has given preachers to help people become what Jesus Christ wants them to be. And if you understand what Paul said in verse 23 and all the way to chapter 2 and verse 9, you will understand that Paul had a heart for these people, that they become what they needed to be for the glory of God because he had a calling from God to help churches. And he had never even seen these people. He hadn't been there. He tells them, in verse chapter 2 and verse 1, you haven't seen my face in the flesh, but I have a ministry to help you become what God is, is, uh, has God intends for you to be because God has called me in the ministry. Do you realize today, all our guests today have an opportunity to be helped by the pastor of a, of a local body, New Testament church, so that you can become what God wants you to be. And there's something even for you here today. I'm not here to preach to our guests necessarily, but whether you're, you're here as a guest or not, there's something from God in his word for your life because the word is, gonna, is being preached. And God has called pastors to do that very thing. Now you might say, well, look, pastor, preacher, Paul is speaking about his calling to help the church. That's true in verse 23 and in verse 24. But notice the words in verse 28, because he makes a tie to actually far more than him. He says, whom, what's the next word? That's interesting, isn't it? Who was he talking about? Well, he was certainly talking about himself. But Paul wasn't just talking about himself. Paul was talking about the fact that they had 
in the churches. Others who were preaching. He could have been referring as well to those who were apostles and those who were disciples of Jesus Christ who were traveling around and having a ministry impacting lives. He could have talked about those who had the gift of evangelism, which Ephesians chapter 4 talks about. But the fact of the matter is, Paul said, God has given men and people to help us become what he wants us to be for the glory of God. And anyone who doesn't understand that doesn't understand the purpose of Jesus Christ and the church. Jesus Christ gave himself and he became the head of the body, the church, and Jesus Christ expects everyone to be part of a local New Testament church so that they might be helped and grow and become what God wants them to be. Now, someone might say, I don't need a preacher. Uh, I can grow spiritually on my own with my Bible. I don't need some man to tell me what God has said. Well, I'm thankful that I don't have to have a man to help me know what God has said, that I have God's spirit going within to give me understanding. But to say that preachers are unimportant and they're foolish is, uh, is absolutely ridiculous. You know why? Because preachers wrote what you claim to be able to read so that you can know what God wants and expects from you. So don't tell me preachers aren't important. Because if Paul didn't write these things to this church, you wouldn't know how to live. So you are dependent upon other people. The teachings of and the truths that they have learned from the word of God. And God has intended that you be helped by that. And anyone who says, I can live my Christian life by myself, I don't need any help, and I don't need any kind of church, is, is literally a person who does not understand, and quite honestly, doesn't understand most of the Bible, but certainly doesn't understand what Paul shared in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, and on to chapter 2 and verse 9. Because he talks about how God has given them pastors, preachers, whom we preach. Uh, many who have been involved, you folks, at Colossae, many have been involved in helping you become what you need to be for the glory of God. Understand that and be thankful for it. God has given us preachers. These preachers are part of the plan of God. I love it because he not only describes the suffering and that, that came and he was willing to face, but he says this, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. God, Paul said this, I was made a minister according to the plan of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Look, God has a plan for, for people's lives. Now, not everyone is a pastor. Not everyone is evangelist. Not everyone has the gift of a teacher. Not everyone has the various gifts that are talked about in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You don't have all the gifts. You don't have just, everyone doesn't have one specific gift. But God does give people. And God has a calling for people. Actually, God has a ministry for everyone because everyone has been given spiritual gifts to be used for the benefit of the local church, the body, believers. And the truth is, if you're not involved and you're not serving, you're not fulfilling your purpose in the church. And Christ is the head, and he's the one you need to listen to. And in these verses, Paul said, God gave pastors. He gave me to you to help you become what you need to be for the glory of God. And I want you to know something. This is a calling from God. It's serious. Now, I know, and it's true, some pastors think too highly of themselves. And that is a danger that a pastor needs to battle against. 
And that's something you need to pray for your pastor about. That I always keep in perspective what God has given to me and what God has called me to do. But don't mistake the fact that God has called pastors. And God has given them abilities and gifts to help you become what you need to be. And you will not be what God wants you to be as a Christian without a pastor and without a local church. And if you don't see the importance of that, you don't understand anything that Paul was sharing in these verses. Paul said, God called me. In fact, what's an amazing thing, because he says at the end of this, to fulfill the word of God. That is an interesting statement. What was he talking about? And, and what, was, what was he sharing? You know what he said this? God has given um, uh, you a local church and a pastor to help you become what God intends for you to become, to help you, if you would, or he, God, he gave him to help people fulfill, to fulfill the word of God, to bring people to completion, to make them what they ultimately need to be for the glory of God. And listen, if you neglect a local church, if you're not part of a local church, if you're not joining with and, and growing by the gifts that God has given to various men to help the body of Christ become what it needs to be, and you're missing out on something very important for your life. Uh, and whether you like it or not, God has given a calling of God to people to help bring people to maturity in Jesus Christ. Um, not long ago, uh, I was talking with someone, I don't remember who it was, but uh, I was talking with someone about a person who had had a fall, had actually broken a bone, but they were too stubborn to go to the doctor. I don't know, you've, you've never met anyone like that. Um, why do wives always look at their husbands when it comes to people that won't go to the doctor? Because my wife would be looking at me if, if she were here. She happens to be in the nursery this morning. Uh, guys are that way. Well, anyway, this guy was stubborn. He refused to go to a doctor. He, had, uh, he, he fell and, and broke. I, I don't remember even what the bone was. But um, when the guy finally decided, I'm going to go to the doctor, because it was just a continuing thing. It wasn't getting... You know, it was getting better, but it wasn't better. You, you know what I mean by that? It actually broke in something. And he finally went to the doctor, and the doctor said this, I could have helped you if you came when the fall took place. But the body has healed improperly, and the doctor said it will never be right again. You waited too long. I can't help you. I wonder how many people uh, today, seriously, are not what they ought be, what they could be, because they won't go where there's a doctor. And you say, you're preaching to, to the crowd that's at church this morning. I know. But you need to hear this. Because God gave Paul and God gave other men to the church to help the body Become what they need to be, and you won't be all you ought to be without it. Now, that's not my idea. That's God's, and that's what Paul was sharing uh, about his ministry. He goes on in verse 26. He talks about the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations. What was the mystery? You know what it is? Verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that a person would be saved by faith in Christ and nothing else. Didn't have to become a Jew, didn't have to follow the Old Testament law. Uh, those things, 
our, our, the Old Testament law taught us we couldn't be reconciled to God. We're sinners. The message of the gospel, the mystery that the Old Testament writers didn't even understand as they were writing, is that salvation would be offered to all men. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter who you are. You can come to Jesus. You can come to God through Jesus Christ by faith and be saved. That was the message. And that was the wonderful message that Paul preached. In fact, we, they, uh, preachers minister by what? Verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Oh, I know you don't like to hear this, but you need preaching. This is great today, you know. I can, I can say, you need preaching. Do you know in a lot of churches, preachers aren't preaching anymore? Seriously. I have read pastors who are writing today saying, I don't get preaching in my sermons. Um, that You will never hear me say that. Sorry. I do get preaching just about all my sermons, sometimes even before my sermons, like I did earlier. Um, the fact of the matter is, and I'm not just talking about yelling, because that's not necessarily preaching, but... The effective ministry of the word, preaching the truth of God without compromise as it needs to be heard. Things that people don't want to hear is what is necessary today. And any preacher who says, I don't preach anymore. I give sermonettes. I give talks. I give encouragements. I give helps. I just try to try to help people along. Does not understand the ministry of a pastor. The ministry of a pastor is to use God's method, which is the preaching of the word, to help people understand Here's truth. Here's what God has said. Here's what you need to do. That's why Paul told Timothy, as a young man, as Paul was just about ready to die, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, Preach the word, Timothy. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And he said, There's going to come a time, Timothy. And by the way, we're in that day. I'll tell you something. We're in that day. When people won't want to hear it, they'll have itching ears. Tell me things that I want to hear. Preach the things that I want to know. I don't want to hear about how, how there is a literal hell that people will spend eternity in. I don't want to hear about how important it is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I don't want to have someone tell me that I'm in sin by living with someone outside of the bonds of marriage. I don't want to have someone tell me that I shouldn't be looking at filthy pornography on the, on the Internet. I don't want to have people telling me that homosexuality is a sin. I don't want to have people telling me these things. And a lot of folks live today saying, I don't want preaching, and that's exactly what they need. Because it's the foolishness of preaching that brings someone to Christ. It's the foolishness of preaching that helps you become perfect in Christ Jesus. He says, whom we preach. Why? That we might present everyone perfect in Christ Jesus. And whether you like it or not, and whether you think it's a great thing when your preacher gets up and steps all over your toes... That happens every once in a while, doesn't it? I'll tell you why. Because I've been stepping on my own all week, and it's about time someone else gets stepped on. No, that's not it. Here, look. The ministry of a pastor is to preach the Word of God in truth so that you might become what God wants you to be. That's what he shares. And he says, look, we preach warning all men and teaching all men in all wisdom. Why? That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, that we might help complete what Jesus Christ died for. 
Um, God has given the pastor to help perfect the people. And that's what verse 28 says. Now notice verse 29, because here's something I'm going to ask for you to do with me. It's just us here today, right? Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. You know what Paul could say? He says, you know, the ministry I've been doing, I've been doing according to whose power? God's. I encourage you as a people, um, and this is a challenge to me. So here, I stepped on my own toes on this one. But uh, if I'm going to effectively minister as a pastor and help you become what God wants you to be, I need to do it with the power that God gives. So if you've never known how to pray for your preacher, one way would be that I would understand my need to have God's power when I preach God's word and that I would be dependent upon it and that I might know it. Can I ask you to pray that way for me? Every pastor needs to minister in the power of God and not in his own power. And sometimes the flesh gets in the way. If you say, Pastor, really? Yeah, just about every week. You, pastor, you're, you're such a bad pastor. I need to go somewhere else where we have better, better preachers. You know what? I'm sorry, but there's probably not a lot. You know, there's, there's not a lot of places where they're, where they're better. We're all just bad people who are seeking to be changed the same way you are by the power of God in our lives through the word of God. And that's what we all need. And we, by the way, we all need to minister the same way. So here's this guy that God has called to help people become what Jesus Christ died to establish. The church, a pure church, a holy church, people who are perfect. That, by the way, means mature. That doesn't mean sinless, although that's his desire that we be holy in every way. So God has given By the way, chapter 2, verse 1, for I would that ye knew the great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. Do you know a, a pastor is concerned about his people? Chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, talk about his concern. Well, what was he concerned about? Look in verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. He said, I am concerned about you people. You know why? Because, listen, those that say, I don't need people, are influenced by people. It's an amazing thing how many times I've had people say, well, you know what? I don't really need a church. I listen to so-and-so. Okay, so you do need someone to help you grow in Christ. And you are dependent upon them. Unfortunately, you've forsaken God's method, which is the local New Testament church, in order to get your food wherever, whether it's on, on the tube or whether it's on the Internet or, or whatever. You've forsaken God's plan and God's method. But the truth of the matter is you're learning from someone. We're all influenced by people. We are. We're human beings. We're influenced by people. The question is who you're being influenced by. And Paul was concerned about that as a pastor, as any pastor should be. Concerned that people would understand there are false teachers. <laughs> They're all around. You know that? Hey, just because you read it on the Internet doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> if you haven't learned that one yet, you need to. In fact, 
Uh, you can read on the internet and you'll see all sorts of ideas contrary to one another. Um, the truth is there's a lot of lies out there you need to be aware of and be warned. Can I tell you, show you a method that God has given to help accomplish and protect you from false teachers? Look at what he says. For I would that you know for what great conflict I have for you, verse 1 of chapter 2, and for them at Laodicea, and as for many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he goes on and says he's concerned about them. Verse 5, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet now yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order in the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. By the way, there as ye have been taught, because we're influenced by people, you need Bible teaching, Bible preaching. All right. Three things that he gives in these verses as we close that are methods that will protect you from false teaching. Do you know what one thing is? A local church that loves one another. A loving local church. You say, really? Seriously? Yeah. Verse 2. He was praying for these people he hadn't seen that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together. How? In love, because he understood this. When a local church, God's people, love one another and are growing one another in, in their faith, that that produces a strength that allows people to stand firm and true to Jesus Christ and keeps them from going off into error. Look, the people that go into error are people often that forsake the church, that start getting into all sorts of, uh, get on the internet and start reading what everyone else has to say about the Bible rather than hearing it from the Word of God itself and what God has to say. So a loving church where God's people are knit together in love and growing in their knowledge of Jesus Christ as a result of that is a way to protect yourself. You know what? A local body learning. It's a local body loving, a local body learning. Uh, and verse 2 gives that same idea that they, they are knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, and then a local body walking by faith, verses 6 and 7. So look, the church is important. The church is important not because we need your money. The church is important not because, wow, you got a great preacher. The church is important because Christ is the head and has given people gifts to help the body become what it needs to be for the glory of God. And because when a local church gathers together and they're knit together in love and they're growing because they're being taught the word of God when they're becoming what God wants them to be because they're learning and then they're putting it into practice and they're becoming faithful Christians who are rooted and grounded in truth. When we have people like that, we have people who are protected from false teachings, and we have people that are becoming what Jesus Christ saved them for. Christ is the preeminent one in the church, and Christ said, I've given men to help you. I've given you the church. I've established the church.
make it important in your life. And then, when you do, in that walk that's going to make you live and become, if you would, what I've already saved you as. I come to make you holy and unblameable, to make you perfect. That's God's desire. Let's not just say, I'm a Christian. Let's be one. Let's be one. That's what God saved us for. It's what he made us when he saved us. Now walk that way. Progressing faith in a local church. Serving. Growing. Working with God's people and loving God's people. So that we all might become what the head saved us to be. Anyone challenged by that? That message, if we just left off with the nice three points and we tried to get into all, if we skipped it, we would have skipped a very important message that everyone needs. Everyone who's part of the family of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.